The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Today's guests are two of the three stars of Utah Opera's upcoming production of Puccini's Tosca. Their list of performance credits is vast in both symphony and in opera, long and varied. Both artists are in high demand across the U.S. and worldwide, especially now that opera companies are returning back to hosting full-size performances. Soprano Katie Van Koten is a newcomer to Utah Opera. We are thrilled to host her Tosca role debut. Baritone Stephen Powell is returning to Utah Opera after a bit of a hiatus. He was last here in 2006 as Papa Germont in La Traviata. Doesn't that feel like a lifetime ago? Yeah. <laughs> welcome, Katie, and welcome back, Stephen. So I was thinking back to my early days with opera in general, but with this opera in particular, I remember as a freshman in college, dashing from a rehearsal and running through a parking garage in heels, because I was still, you know, like young enough to wear unsensible shoes, to catch the downbeat of Tosca at Houston Grand Opera with Ava Marton. I actually discovered um, recently, I found a throwback tweet that said that this was the first production where Houston Grand Opera actually ever used supertitles which is kind of amazing, that um, for either of you, whoever wants to answer first, do you remember when you first saw Tosca or encountered the piece? Yes, I remember. I remember, yeah. You want to go first or shall I go? You go, sir. Okay, so that was the very first opera I ever saw, and I was 11 years old. Oh, my gosh. And my mom was a big opera fan, and she took us to the Met. We grew up outside of Philly, so I think we drove. And I had no idea what this was, and I didn't really know what was going on, because they did not have subtitles when I was 11. However, I was struck by the music, I just uh, the grandiose nature of the whole production, and the sweep of the music especially. Uh, that's the first experience alive that I had with opera, and I'll, I'll never forget it. It was really a tremendous experience. Amazing! I, it was your mm. first opera. Yeah. Wow. I know. Yeah. I don't want to. I think I don't want to get in the way of your answer, Katie. But I want to say that my first experience with opera was also at age eleven, <laughs> on a, a field trip, and it was uh, also Puccini. It was an English version of *Girl of the Golden West*. Oh wow! Oh wow! And same thing. I Very didn't know what I was seeing, but I loved it. Right. I didn't know what was going on at all. But you're like, this is cool. But yeah, I was like, wow, that's incredible what they're doing. I couldn't imagine it. Yeah, that's crazy. Amazing. You guys both saw Puccini. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very first opera. Wow. Yeah. My goodness, I came way later to the game with opera. I didn't hear one until I was in one. That was my first experience with opera. But I was a young artist at Come Garden when I first heard Tosca. I was sitting for the, a lot of the rehearsals, um, just hearing hearing the artist. I think it was Bryn Terville's first Scarpia. Mm. So it was kind of fun. Yeah, that's it's it's an amazing. It was also one of my first CDs. Remember when CDs came out? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> my first yeah. one was La Traviata with Domingo. I was a Domingo fan, and then my second one was Leontine Price singing mm. Tosca. Oh, cool. Well, uh, back to this HGO production because you know camera one. But um, Katie, it turns out that that HGO production that I saw back in nineteen <laughs> was Ava Martone's role debut as Tosca. Oh, that's so cool. And this is your role debut. It is. Was there a moment? As you were, maybe it was that time you were in Covent Garden that you added Tosca to your list of dream roles. How did 
I for sure did because I I feel like as a I'm a strong person and I feel like she's a very strong character and vocally I started out like a lot of sopranos probably most sopranos do with the kind of Ina Annas and the the cutesy girls and the pretty songs and um I I really liked the gravitas she had and I liked that she made things happen rather than things happening to her because I think that's definitely different than a lot of soprano roles I sing and have sung. Um, she's not like a victim of her circumstances. She definitely makes her own choices. Um, but I was told by Tony Papano when I was a young artist, he was like, if I hear of you singing this in the next 10 years, I will kill you. <laughs> so, so I knew it was like down the road because it's, it's definitely a tour de force. It's a, I, it's kind of like other roles I've sung. You have to, it's not just about the vocal age. It's about the age of the person singing the role and the life experience that you bring to that. And it's, it all has to be combined to give a believable and a, I think moving performance. Not, it's not just the notes. So we're out of the 10-year statute of limitations. <laughs> yes, I think so. I don't want to think about how far back that was. Oh, but no, yeah, no, I'm pretty no, sure we, it was we don't need to more than <laughs> some, Yeah, something. <laughs> we're not stating years in this podcast. We don't do that here. Good, good. Stephen, let's talk a little bit about your role. I, um, mm. In preparation for this, I did a little web sleuthing, and I found this list that WQXR put out several years ago about the 10 baddest villains in mm. opera. And, you know, you can imagine the people that are on it. Hagen is on it. Peter Quint, that's a deep cut, but he should probably be the number one person. Mm. That's a terrible, terrible character. Iago's on it. Scarpia is number three, only beaten by a three-way tie between the two Lady Macbeths, the Verdi one and the Shostakovich one, and Lulu. Number one, of course, is Mephistopheles. But, so, these characters are bad enough that everybody knows they're bad. And I know that Scarpia probably gets booed a lot. In fact, I heard that you got booed by the chorus when you were announced at the first meeting with the Utah yeah, Opera. Yeah, that was heartening. What's, <laughs> it, what's it like to play the bad guy? You know, baritones often have to play people of ill repute. So, I mean, what what's it like to prepare to be the villain like Scarpia? Well, I, I do play a lot of roles that uh, are either misunderstood or they're just plain bad. And Scarpia is just plain bad. Um, you know, I do try very hard to find sympathetic elements to their characters. Um, Germain is often seen as a bad guy, but he's really not. He's doing what he thinks is best for his family at the time. Um, Scarpia, he's just a bad person. He's not a nice person. <laughs> He's evil, he wants control, he wants power, and he actually has it with his position. Uh, and he uses it uh, to gain his own desire, the desires he has. He uses his power and control, and he's cruel. Um, but he's also sadistic because he likes to play with his victims. It's like a cat messing with a mouse all the time until he finally kills it. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's not nice. So. I don't mind being booed because I expect it. The character, of course, I, I, I hope is the one being booed. Um, <laughs> actually, one of the, I think the very first time I did Scarpia, I shared it with an Italian guy. We were double cast. And it was his American debut. And he got booed. And he was absolutely, uh, he couldn't believe it. He said, I thought I sang well. Oh, he was, did, yeah. What happened? Yeah. They booed me. And I said, dude, you're an American now, bro. <laughs> You know, they boo your character. Yeah. Whether you sing well or not, that's not the point. And it, he he was really shaken by that. 
Do just, you go? It never happened before. Do you go full method like Brando? Or are you pushing people down in the street just yeah, to no. stay in that Scarpia place during the week? Or no, I don't think about it outside the the production uh, itself. No, I can attest to that. That's it's probably good nice for your man. mental health. It's very yeah. nice to me. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's enough to have to do it on stage. I'm sure. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, Katie, um, back to you. At the time of this chat that we're having right now. You've just had three hours to explore Tosca. Something this is like this that. new character with our with our director, Ghostlight alum Omer Ben Seadia. And I'm just wondering what sort of research you do to prep for a monolithic experience like Tosca. What do, what do you bring to it? And you know, Puccini's very specific about his characters and all of his stage business, really. So there's a lot in the score, but where else do you go to get to do your prep? Um, I definitely think I, I always try to start with the original like historical text or experience or, you know, poet, composer, author, librettist, all of that. You, you try to read about it, try to read about how the piece has evolved and what its original reception kind of was. You read about different people who've done the role and different interpretations of the role. You want to watch the role. You want to listen to the role. And there's, there's an infinite amount of ways you can approach it. I think, um, I, I was just talking with Omar in rehearsal. We did have a really nice conversation about how it's very difficult sometimes as a singer because people come to you and say, well, she would do this. And I think it's very difficult when you hear that because whoever she is is not a real person. <laughs> so there's no way to predict what she would do. And for me, um, I had a director when I was very young doing my first Mimi at Covent Garden I was feeling all this pressure, like, oh, my gosh, it's me, me, and what do I do? And and these iconic roles that you come to for the first time when you have this vast history of these amazing, legendary singers. And he said, Mimi is not real. You are Mimi. <laughs> you have to be her. So whoever you are and however you relate to who she is, you have to find those moments and make them real for yourself and make them believable to an audience and how you interact with the characters of all the other people that are making their characters real in that moment. Um, and that has really helped me because you can watch and learn a ton from other singers and listen, um, which I do. Uh, but I really enjoy the process of, of assembling all of that information and then coming into a room and really figuring out with your group of people, uh, the director, the conductor, your colleagues, who she is for you and and we all have different strengths and weaknesses and you know there are things I do really well and things I don't do as well so really capitalizing on your strengths I think is is helpful as well to try to think through that does that answer your question mm -hmm. absolutely. <laughs> okay. absolutely I mean there's no point in trying to imitate something that's gone before right and, and it's none of it's real it's all fictional and so we're all trying to tell a story new every time we do it in a new way and so I mean no one would come and hear it if we all did it the same way every time because there's the beauty in that. <laughs> I have to put you on the spot, though. Have you read the original Sardou play? I don't think so. I tried tracking it down, and I couldn't find it in English. No, and no. I, yeah, I was like, I think this might be a little beyond my time frame. <laughs> well, so, Stephen, you're coming to this role after having done it. You've done two or three productions prior to this one? Mm, four productions. Four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, you have some other roles that are roles that keep showing up in your history. How do you keep those roles fresh? Well, uh, mostly I, I think about uh, my own standard that I set for myself when I perform. So I don't want to be below, be below that ever. 
So I have to approach it new each time. I have to be prepared. I have to give the same energy, the same focus, the same concentration, the same um, you know, commitment to the role. And often it's with different people who uh, I haven't sung with, uh, whether it be the uh, leading lady or, or the tenor. And so I, I try to give my best to everybody to make it uh, easier for, for them. The other thing is you never know who's in the audience. This may be the person's first opera. Um, it could also be their last opera. So I think the commitment to being um, an artist is part of that is, is to always sing to your own standard. And there's people who bought their tickets a, a year ago and they've been waiting for that night. And so it's my job to make sure I give them the best I have. Particularly so. this audience who's been waiting for Tosca for an extra year. <laughs> oh, right, right, so, right. You know, and not to get too much in the weeds, but I'm curious, you know, as you're working with different people, you know, we, we bring you together, you sometimes are meeting people for the first time at the first music rehearsal, and then you're expected to create this really intense story together. Do you find with a different Tosca, with a different Cavaradossi, that new things come to to hand because of a, a different chemistry? Yes, always, actually. There's always something new because of that, yeah. Um, so, in, and also going in with an open mind, not saying, oh, God, here it is, another German, and wow, I can't wait till this is over, anything like that. I mean, if you're at that point, you should just stop singing. Yeah, I mean, we've all probably encountered that person who's mm -hmm. like, well, this is the way I do X role. Yeah, this is the way right? I do it. Katie's laughing a lot. Really? <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, I've encountered that. We yeah. won't do names. We won't mention yeah. it. Yeah, I've but, encountered that, too. Yeah, so. I think, though, can, I just want to add, you know, when you're, when you're experiencing a wonderful piece of art, which so many of these operas are, and you revisit them, there's always something amazing yeah. and new that you discover as a singer, especially there's so many layers that you just can't grasp all of them, no matter how prepared you are. And then right. you have different colleagues and a different interpretation from a new director or a conductor who wants to try something another way. And I think I think it's continually inspiring. When I revisit a role, it's more mm -hmm. fun in a different way because new, new things yeah. come out of the score and out of the character that are surprising. And we're fortunate that when we sing, we're singing masterpieces. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, there's always something new to find mm -hmm. that, uh, that you didn't experience before. I want to ask both of you about um, other artists for a second. I know, Katie, you talked about making sure that you're bringing your own personality to this, but I imagine there are still inspirations in your past when you think of past Tosca's. And I know you both talked earlier about the first time you saw the opera, but I wonder if you've got favorite, other than each other, <laughs> favorite Tosca's and Scarpia's that you have enjoyed, you know, having a recording of or having heard a live performance of. Who's like a go-to sort of legendary singer that you look to for some sort of guidance in these roles? Well, you should uh, talk so, about your so, wife. Well, thank you. I was actually <laughs> going to mention her, my yes. wife. Uh, no offense, but she no, was my favorite Tosca. Of course. Uh, she's, She's soprano Barbara Shervis. Actually, she sang uh, Butterfly here some right. years ago. Yes. I, yep. Um, and I'll have to say, in that same performance, uh, our eldest son sang The Shepherd Boy. Uh, he was 11, and two weeks later, his voice changed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. So we barely got that in. And his younger brother was his understudy, oh, no who kidding. definitely did Isn't not want to do it. Isn't that the whole story? That family is affair. amazing. That is yeah. a family affair. Seriously. Yeah, I love that. 
So, uh, are you your wife's favorite Scarpia as well? <laughs> yeah. Well, she loved to say that you know she likes to get her rage out on stage, um, <laughs> and so it's healthy family therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it there is right. She gets to kill me, you know, not for real. <laughs> Although she'd like to uh, other times, but um, as far as Scarpias, um, I mean, I I listen to. Some of these guys that are my favorites, Bastianini, Capuccini, I'm not sure that they sang Scarpia, but um, I listed James Morris was great, uh, one of the best, I think, greatest Scarpias. Um, I was just listening to a recording of Cornell McNeil from the Matt with Shirley Verrett at Posca. Mm. Uh, that was pretty great. So um, those guys, uh, just the best baritones, and I just try to sing it uh, with the greatest... Um, Italian at feel and the the style that I can can muster, um, so I I have those guys to to uh, look from. They're what about great. you, Katie? I, I mean, I've lis- I listen to several. I for me, when I'm approaching a new role that is, for, you know, different repertoire, I'm kind of still growing into new vocal things. I try to find a singer who I feel like. Um, I most comfortably can relate to, the, like their vocal choices and the color. And the size, and um, I've of course Leotine Price I've listened to, and Marta Franyi, who has a quite small voice, but it was interesting hearing some of the choices she made, having done a lot of Puccini singing. Um, but I Renata Scatto is the one that I really, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to her colors and her her legato and her support. And um, for me personally, that's the one I feel like I can kind of relate to the most with her colors and her her uh, lyricism and everything. I big roles that there's a tendency to just be loud all the time and that's really right. not the way I enjoy singing at all. I, I, I'm much more of like a Straussian singer. I like the big swelly moments, but I like there to be quieter, more intimate moments just to change those dynamic levels, I think. And so I try to listen to singers that have a lot more nuance than just kind of noise. Don't <laughs> 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 well, mention the yeah. that noise. I'm with you on that okay, one. Okay, good. I completely it's agree. It's a t-shirt for Tosca, <laughs> and then the back is going to say nuance over noise. I hate the noise. noise. Just a note really? For, just I a mean... note for our producer, that is the title of the episode. Oh, no. <laughs> nuance <laughs> over noise. Um, <laughs> Stephen, I, I, just, I, feel, I, I feel like we would be doing our audience a disservice if we didn't let you plug your pandemic project. Uh, So, you know, one of the things I'm always uh, amazed at is I'm amazed at singers in general and all of the uh, different things that they do as part of their art. But Stephen also plays the piano and accompanies himself. And I saw on your website he wanted to be Billy Joel. Yeah, I did. So you have this pandemic project that you accompany yourself. Yeah. So um, I was a piano major in college first before I ever sang. So I... uh, pursued classical piano. But as a teenager in the 70s, I wanted to be Billy Joel, because who didn't? I mean, he was awesome and still is. And I just took him, I took my sons to see him a couple summers ago at Madison Square Garden. That was their first rock concert that they'd ever been to. And I'd seen, that was my fifth time seeing Billy Joel, although it had been a very long time. Anyway, this project has nothing to do with Billy Joel, but... um, (laughs) I uh, had always thought through my adult years, wow, what would it be like to do something with piano and voice together? Um, and I wasn't quite sure how that would be done. Um, but during the pandemic, I had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> and uh, it was only me. So I thought, well, it's a perfect COVID thing to 
because there's nobody else that needs to be in the studio, so there's no worries or concerns about spreading. So I decided to do it, and I used the subject of our current uh, unfortunate world uh, and global situation, um, called it Why Do the Nations. Essentially, it's about uh, using music from different uh, countries. There's 11 different languages. Uh, and I wanted to, through Western classical music, try to describe that basically, hey, everybody, we're all the same. We all have love. We all have, uh, you know, fears. We all experience death. It's, uni it's not unique to any country or any culture. Um, so it was my little way of doing something for myself as a pianist and a singer and also trying to, to say that, you know, time's running out and we're really all the same. Let's start being adults here, you know, and uh, fix what's, what's broken because we don't have a lot of time left. So that was the project, not to be a downer. But um, I found so much joy in doing it because uh, the music I found to, to, to describe these uh, emotions uh, just was so, I had such a great time performing it both as a pianist and a singer and, and the selections are not downers no they're the not i mean there's no. some that are just like you know one of my favorite wolf songs is Alpina Dinga. yeah about the little things the little things in life and that's, right. that's one of the most sweet and uh, poignant songs i know and i found some puccini and some verdi songs that uh, were songs separate um had nothing to do with opera that had great subject matter moriure uh, i don't know if mm -hmm. you know that one um you know, questions about death, you know, uh, which uh, we all have. Um, and so they, all the subjects that we all face as humans is what I tried to include. So that was my pandemic project. And uh, I don't think I'll ever do it again. Because it was <laughs> but it really, sounds like a project of It life. was really hard, but <laughs> really worth it. Um, I'm glad I did it, but um, I think I can move on to other things now. Well, I, I don't think the time for your message in this case, Stephen, has passed. I mean, as we record today, there are potentially yeah. momentous things happening in Eastern Europe, and uh, I just think the world needs messages like yours more than ever. So I'm also really glad you did that. Before we let you both go, though, there's a question we ask all of our opera people, because it's we, Carol and I love the answers we get to this question. <laughs> and I think whoever goes oh, second will benefit because okay. they'll have time to think. So <laughs> um, the question is, is there any subject, real or imagined that you think just absolutely has to be made into an opera that hasn't yet? Oh, wow, that's a good question. And you would take a second to think about it. So Real yes. or imagined? Real or imagined. Wow. A historical figure that needs to be celebrated? I, I, okay. I will go because I ahead. have an idea, and I've sure. said this before to my husband. I did my um, senior thesis on Anna Karenina, the novel, and mm. I've always thought it would make a fantastic opera. It's, you know set in Russia, it's lavish, it deals with these parallel choices of characters, you know, you have one that chooses kind of domesticity and happiness and the simple life and nature, and then you have this kind of city life and, and choices for self and um, the implosion of the people she loves around her and the consequences of her choices, and I just, I think she's a fascinating figure, and I think I think it'd be a beautiful opera. Someone should write it. Opportunity for a huge set change in between <laughs> Act 1 right? and 2. <laughs> and don't forget the train effect. Right? Absolutely. And there would be a lot of, like, stagecraft to do because there's, and there's beautiful, like, balls. And, you know, I mean, yeah. I think it, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of Onegin, but without, right. like, you know, 
the love necessarily. You have these, <laughs> yeah. but you've got a little bit of gratification and a little bit of tragedy. So, what do you think, Stephen? Well, boy, there's so many, and I'm, I'm racking my brains here. But I, uh, the thing that I'm thinking of is, and boy, I hope that there isn't an offer written about this that I don't know about. <laughs> but Abraham Lincoln. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I don't think there is. I, I would think that. I think of Lincoln portrait. There's a, yeah, that. That of the Copeland. But I mean, as far as a, a fully realized, you know, three act kind of show uh, about, I mean, you could take any aspect of his life and make one opera out of it, you, you know, but mm -hmm. the, all the things that he encountered and all the things that he did and all the things he had to face and the decisions he made and the effect that it still has on the world today, I think that would be a figure that, you know, is operatic in scope. And what voice type is Lincoln? I'm Baritone. just curious. Baritone. <laughs> of course. No doubt yeah. about it. Come on now. I agree. I'm not sure if you read this book, Stephen, but George Saunders wrote this book called Lincoln at the Bardo, and it's about Lincoln visiting his son's grave because one of his sons died very young. And his son is in this liminal space with all these other ghosts just behind the veil, and they're sort of interacting with him, though he doesn't know it as he visits. And I think there's an opera in that particular aspect of his story. That's yeah. a really, I, you and I might have to collaborate on this off mic. I think we might be onto something. Sure, here. sure. We'll no, have to get George Saunders involved. There are so many too. offshoots. I mean, there yeah. could be incredible numbers of things done. Absolutely. Yeah. Anna Karenina and Abe Lincoln. I Not bad, it. Carol. Not bad. <laughs> Before we wrap up here, we want to give our audience a chance to find you on the internet. Katie, where can we find you? I have my website, which is katievancoten.com. And, and that's Coten, K-O-O-T-E-N. Right. Words. Pronounced, I'm, yeah, differently than it's spelled. And then I, my Instagram handle is KBK Soprano, I think. So, yeah. And then Stephen, and also where we can find your album. Uh, my website is Stephen with a PH, Powell.us. And I have a page on there for my recordings that you can peruse and purchase if you so desire, which would be lovely. <laughs> uh, Instagram is Stephen Powell Baritone. All right, so check out those uh, internet and social media spaces to find out more about Katie and Stephen. Katie and Stephen, I can't wait to finish this journey with you. We've got a couple more weeks to go still in our process, but thank you for joining us here on day two to talk about our project. Very thank welcome. You. Happy to be here. So thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening today. If you haven't yet, it would really help us if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us to get new listeners. Be sure to visit usuo.org for information about upcoming performances like the performances of Tosca. We hope to see you soon for a live performance. Until next time, I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. For questions about the show, you can reach us at ghostlight at usuo.org. The Utah Symphony Utah Opera Season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>